Stu Does America. All right, welcome to the program. Uh, it's up at CPAC today. Uh, we're going to do something a little bit different today. That does not mean, does not excuse you from your duties, of course. You still need to subscribe on YouTube uh, and click the little bell thing, and then that'll tell you when we post all of our new videos, as well as subscribing and rating and reviewing on YouTube. It's great. Whatever. Just that. That's all you need. Five stars. It's great. Whatever. Plenty. That's plenty. And it seems to be all you're doing. So thank you for that. I appreciate it. Um, we have all the luminaries from CPAC in today, and we start with one, Benny Johnson. Benny, of course, is the chief <laughs> luminary. officer. Luminary. <laughs> from Turning Point USA, and it's great. Thanks for coming over here and doing this. I appreciate it. Of course. It's interesting because, uh, you know, you were back at the Blaze back in the day. Yes. And I was thinking about this as we're, uh, you know, because I want to get into the media and stuff um, uh, for a little bit. But the, just the changes since you were at the Blaze... I think the media and the way, you know, you guys are using the internet in incredible ways and really influencing people mm-hmm. all over the age spectrum on that. I mean, just the changes in the past few years. Can you talk about that a little bit of, of, of what you've seen sort of develop? Yes. So you've seen a dynamic shift, truly like an in- inception point yeah. when it comes to media and the way that young people consume their media, the way that they get their media. It's really special at Turning Point USA Uh, Where I work, we specialize in reaching young people and making sure that we are there in their feeds every single day (laughs) and speaking the language of young people where they want to be spoken to and the way they like to be spoken to, which is on social media. And so 10 years ago when I was at The Blaze, things like Twitter and Facebook were just getting started, right? They were just in their inception point. They were like really like just beginning. Now it is the premier place at which all young people get their information. And if you were to ask a young person, I speak on college campuses to thousands of young people every single year. Mm -hmm. If you were to ask anyone between the ages of 18 to 25 uh, how they would prefer to get their news and where they get their news, it's all on social media. And if you ask the medium at which they'd want to get their news, they'd say memes. Right. They'd say funny media from influencers that I trust. Yeah. I do this. I often do a test. I take my phone. I say, you get a free iPhone. It's all yours mm-hmm. to keep. Uh, one rule. You can only download one app to get your information. What app do you download? Do you know what I never hear? Ever. Ever. <laughs> CNN.com. Ever. No, never. MSNBC and Fox News. I mean, it's not really even a partisan thing. They, yeah. they, they don't. Right. Want that they would say Instagram. It's incredible. Mm-hmm. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, a little bit, some YouTube. That's it. That's like, and that's where the Blaze obviously like came in and said, mm-hmm. "We're going to do this differently." Yeah. And so it's really, it's it's really special, but it truly is a a world upside down uh, as to who the gatekeepers and influencers are now. You guys are so good at getting into this space, and and so many people have tried and failed. You know, a lot of times it's the guy like, hello there, fellow kids. You know, it's like that sort of vibe with so many conservatives who try to do that. The meme? Yeah, Yeah, with the skateboard? Yeah, but it's like, how do you do, uh, fellow kids? How do you do, fellow kids? But it's like, that's our, a lot of conservatives go into those spaces and look like, what was it, Buscemi? Steve Buscemi? Yeah, it looks like Buscemi trying to go into the high school (laughs) and relate to kids. You guys are able to do this. I mean, obviously, you know, um, you do this. uh, It it, it seems to come organically. It it doesn't seem hard for you guys to do. You guys do a really good job being able to to pop a little bit in the social space, which is not easy. No, you have to understand. You have to be able to meme. I mean, first off, what I say every single day is the left can't meme. The left can't meme. They cannot meme. I see that in my Instagram feed every day. They have no truth. Mm -hmm. They have no sense of humor. And they can't make fun of themselves. And if you don't have those things, you can't meme. You have to be able to be self-deprecating, have a damn sense of humor. (laughs) uh, And have you watched late night television recently? I mean, have you seen how unfunny the left has become and how, like, 
rage-inducing it is yeah. to, and the best part, Stu, is that when they retreat, we can take over the mountain of comedy, mm -hmm. right? Like, we have them on the run. We are now the purveyors of humor. Like, if you watch a Dave Chappelle or Richie Gervais, they sound like a conservative, yeah. right? I'm not, I don't think they are ones, but their, la the, the, their jokes are at the left. And so it's really, it's really, really special point right now. I call this the golden era of memes, <laughs> the golden era of content on the internet, because we truly are winning. Yeah, it does feel that way. I, you know, I mean, you, you always write the left can't meme, and it, it does seem that they're really terrible at it. And I, I don't understand why. If you kind of back up and you're just like, well, the left has had the creatives for a really long time. Yeah. I mean, you watch, you watch the Oscars. You watch people get up there with you know, trophies celebrating their abortions. Like, this is not, you know, the, the people who have been known for uh, entertainment have been on the left for as long as I can remember. I mean, you yeah. remember going back and every every musical artist, they were yeah. all the anti-Bush songs, and, and it's been going on forever. Yeah. It does seem like there's a there's a little bit of a switch going on, and it's kind of encouraging. Yeah. So stand-up comedy is a great place to look if you want to talk about where humor and where actual where the heart and the centric humor of a nation and a society is. Yeah. Stand-up comedy is an American invention, right? We produced the best stand-up comics. Mm -hmm. We discovered the art form and perfected it. Yep. If you were to go back just in my lifetime and look at a sketch from Richard Pryor in the 80s, if you were to look at a sketch from Robin Williams during my lifetime in the 90s, mm -hmm. right? They would be banned, banned from late night comedy yeah. for saying some of the jokes that they said and for being funny in the way that they were funny because they were equal opportunity roasters, right? right? Yeah. For everyone. The left has utterly abandoned the art form of comedy for political wokeness, which is the most unfunny, scolding, <laughs> like screechy thing ever. Yes. And they've, they've abandoned what used to, you think Robin Williams was a conservative? No. You think Richard Pryor was a Republican? No. There were leftists, but they were, oh, it was okay laughing at each other and laughing at themselves. And they, uh, they've utterly retreated from that. And so now is the time for conservatives to, like, go, go, go take the yeah. beach. Yeah. Go take the beachhead. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because yeah. you see, there's so much inherent comedy in what the left is doing. I mean, you know, you, Pete Buttigieg, who is no left, he's not, he's no conservative, is out there getting criticized because he's not gay enough. If you're in a place where you're going after the guy who's the closest to ever being the first gay president, and you're calling him not gay enough, yes, I don't know what that means. First of all, <laughs> I, I you know I really don't understand it. Right. But like they will go after. They go after. I mean, Patton Oswalt, who's a, again another guy who you put in this. He's an incredible lefty. But listen to him talk about trying to communicate the right pronouns about transgendered people. You know, here's a guy who's a super progressive. I mean, he is way left. Even he feels it. He's getting, they're changing the names on him every two weeks. He doesn't know what to say. Yes. And now he's trying to be all accepting and inclusive and he can't pull it off. You have to be a linguist to figure it out. The best thing about the meme wars is that they are the way that young people are consuming their information. I, it would be a very hard road to say, I'm going to go take over Hollywood right. and I'm going to make Hollywood conservative. Mm -hmm. Is it impossible? I like, I like saying impossible, but sure, it's impossible. <laughs> yeah. The recording industry, I will take over the mm -hmm. recording industry and make only conservative, you know, get conservatives a bunch of Grammys. Yeah. No, I mean, maybe Kanye, Jesus King, we'll see. But meme wars, the meme economy, that is something truly special because not only are we beating the left at it, yeah. they're not even fighting. I mean, it's not even a, 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 they don't even have a chance. We are destroying them. And so being in, being there is so special because that's the way a whole new generation 
is getting their information and is getting their understanding of the world around them. Yeah. And, and that's why they're trying to ban us and why they always try to, to ban the good conservative memes or the, the funny accounts is because they're terrified because they can't compete. You just went through this, right? Nancy Pelosi was basically trying to ban your, ban your memes. Yes. Yes. Thank you, <laughs> like, Stu. We produced a meme. Uh, it was a video, a viral video, of Nancy Pelosi ripping up the president's State of the Union. We all saw this. Mm-hmm. All it was is we, we overlaid that over the president's strongest lines. So we took two things that happened, and we made Nancy Pelosi tearing up at the transition, right? Yeah. It was a very viral video because it showed what she was actually tearing up, yeah. okay? Mm-hmm. So Nancy Pelosi tears up powerful American stories. We, produ- we published that, the president's son, posts it, the president posts it, pins it to the top of his Twitter feed, it's going viral, and the response, the response of Nancy Pelosi and the entire Democrat caucus <laughs> was to ban it. They said this piece of video is edited, it's manipulated. <laughs> it was things that happened, we yeah. all saw you do it, Nancy, and it's, it's really Orwellian, but it's, oh, thankfully, no one took it down, no one banned it, and the State of the Union was seen by 37 million people. Our Video has now been seen by over 50 million people. Wow. So m- tens of millions more than watched the State of the Union have seen our meme. Good job, Nancy Pelosi. Way to backfire. The <laughs> way I see it, Stu, is that these are tactics of the losing side. Yeah. It's, it's, shut down your shut down conversation. Shut down your enemy. Like, make sure they can't speak. Right. Like, this is, these aren't how winners, winners, like, debate and enjoy the fight. Yeah. yeah Losers are the people who are trying to shut down the fight. Yeah, we're talking about that with the impeachment. And, like, these are not the actions of a confident party. It's, mm-hmm. not, the, it's not the actions mm-hmm. of a party that thinks it's going to blow out Donald Trump in mm-hmm. November. Mm-hmm. These are the actions of, of a party that's desperate and is flailing mm-hmm. and is trying to figure out how to hold on to their power. And, and, yes. and I think, like, that's one of the interesting things about this, the stuff that you guys are doing because – as much as obviously you're on the conservative side of this, in some ways it's not conservative versus liberal. It's establishment versus like energy, right? Like you guys are where the, where the energy is and and they are trying to kind of hold on to this old power. And, you know, th- that's not a battle that you win often. No, it's not because energy energy is what shows up. Mm. I mean, energy is what allows you to have organic reach. You can't have, you don't have organic reach when you're Joe Biden because no one wants to make a meme of you, right? You have organic reach. I'm not sure if your cameras can show this. This is, I was in Tel Aviv. I was in Tel Aviv and they're here just punk rock Donald Trump. This is my business card holder. And it's like punk rock Donald Trump in the middle of Israel. You have like artists making memes of the president. You won't find that for Joe Biden, right? You find that for people yeah. with, with energy, and that's where all creativity comes from, is this source of having uh, the creative sort of push that want, people want to remix. They want to take it to the next step. Yeah. That's all meme economy is. Yeah. I'll produce a meme, then seven people do their versions of it, yeah. then we all do our versions of it, <laughs> and then you have something very powerful. It was a beautiful moment this week when Michael Jordan stood up at Kobe Bryant's uh, wake, mm-hmm. and he said, he was crying at the memory of Kobe, and I'm sure you saw the clip. Yeah. He said, here you go. I'm going to be a meme again. Yeah. <laughs> right? That was the biggest laugh line yeah. of the entire thing. Mm-hmm. Memes came into the wake for Kobe Bryant, uh, and Michael Jordan, best athlete perhaps of all time, is is very aware of the memes that are being made of him yeah. in that moment. It's very powerful. Yeah, it's, it's true. Like, and, and back in the day, you, someone like that doesn't even know anyone that's alive. Like, that, yeah, you know, they're signing autographs and walking around. Now yeah. they know what everyone's saying about them, and yes. it's, it, it has really turned the world upside down. Yes. I want to get back to you, because you just talked to um, uh, Mike Pence yes. uh, about the coronavirus. I'm going to take a quick break and come back on the other side. We have some uh, pretty interesting updates from uh, the vice president in just a second.
It's uh, Stu here at uh, CPAC. Stu does America. Do, well, Stu does CPAC, I guess, today. Um, we're here with uh, Benny Johnson, who uh, I used to work with at The Blaze, um, and uh, you know, he's now meeting with the vice president, and I'm still here. Um, so that says something about my career. But, uh, Benny, uh, you actually did meet with the, uh, with the Hold vice president. Hold on. <laughs> Let it be known mm. that Stu has his name on a pen that says Nancy Pelosi sucks. <laughs> All right? And so this oh, is like my plug. You, thank you can get this beautiful pen for a one-time <laughs> fee. NancyPelosiSucksPen.com. Believe me, they know I bother them with it all the amazing. time. So. <laughs> um, so you actually did meet with the vice president. Um, and uh, the coronavirus thing, it's interesting to see how seriously the Trump administration is taking it. They're putting the number two guy right on the, you know, with Pence leading the thing. What did, what did he say? What's the update? Mm -hmm. So the vice president met with some digital influencers after his speech at CPAC, and he told us about his heading of the task force for coronavirus, which we found out less than 24 hours ago. Um, everything is absolutely contained and under control right now in the United States. Uh, this is a global pandemic. However, the vice president talked through his experiences as governor of Indiana. Uh, with SARS and MERS outbreak uh, and how that was contained. Uh, Indiana had multiple cases and different outbreaks and how there's containment strategy, treatment strategy, and that's what's being applied right now. The cases that are in America, the vast majority of them, are cases that were found internationally, mm -hmm. and these Americans were brought back to America safely, quarantined, and are being treated right now in this country, uh, and how this is a... Big deal from a global sense. Mm -hmm. This will be an opportunity for the administration to show exactly how prepared they were for this ahead of time. Uh, the thing that the vice president pushed was the preparedness yeah. that happened with the travel ban over a month ago. Uh, with the steps that have been, been taken to stop the kind of rampant infections that have happened in other nations because the administration took these steps. And they were called all, every name in the book by the media yeah. for taking these oh, steps, yeah. mm -hmm. but they took them anyway, and now America is safer for it. Um, do you, you get the sense that they're really on top of it? Because this is one of those things that if, if, if this goes awry, it can change the entire election. It can, I mean, obviously lives are at stake. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. They, they, are, they understand how serious this is. Yeah, so a number of these questions were brought up, which is one, our porous southern border. Uh, what happens if there is virus transference across that border? And the, pre the vice president uh, sp spoke forcefully about how the administration is uh, cutting down the traffic. I think he said up to 90 percent uh, mm. year over year is being stopped at the border and how that problem has been mitigated, but all the more reason to make sure that we secure our southern border. And then secondly, uh, I asked about the economic uh, the economic fallout. It's been a rough week. From this, yeah. yes. You see the Dow jitters on the Dow today. Um, you see major econ economic upheaval yeah. around the sure. planet. Uh, all the more reason why it's so spectacular that we've had such incredible growth over the last three years economically in this country and how well America is doing economically to be able to take a hit like that and everyone sees it is going to be a hit when you have a global market like that. Mm -hmm. Everything's shut down in China. It's going yeah. to disrupt things. Yeah. Um, I love how we're looking at it. You know, they're talking about maybe electing a socialist president. Yes. And as you brought up in the break, here's another wonderful gift from communism, the, uh, the, the coronavirus. Yes. Thank you so much. Once again, communist governments for allowing these things to happen and, of course, hiding them. So we have really no idea what the death rates are. We don't know what they're reporting. I mean, this has been yet another step in this centralized government and another example of the failure. 
my wife was saying the other day, she's a medical professional, and she was talking about Chernobyl uh, mm. and the oh, yeah. HBO show Chernobyl and how the disaster that happened because a communist government was trying to protect itself and protect its image. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's what the fallout. Hundreds, thousands of people die mm. because a communist government can't stand people looking at it bad and making fun of it. Uh, uh, and and any any errors, right, is seen as a direct result of, of communism. Yeah. And so how many more people have to die? We already have 100 million body bags stacked to the ceiling from communism in this century. How many more people? And you can directly trace back the coronavirus spread to communism mm-hmm. and the closure of that country and the communist government trying to protect itself. Is it, there's been a battle between what, who's killed more people over the past century. Is it communism or infectious disease? I don't know how to categorize the coronavirus deaths, because they're kind of going both categories. Right. Um, it's just really sad. Before we, before we go, though, we had about two minutes left. Um, you went to Cuba, mm-hmm. which is amazing. With Sanders, all this stuff with going on with Sanders yes. uh, this week, defending this regime. What did you find in Cuba when you were there? Yes. Cuba, what, first thing they found was a lie. The most important thing to know about Cuba is that everything you've ever heard about Cuba is a lie. Mm-hmm. It is communist propaganda spread through people in our media that want to protect and insulate their own statehood ideologies, their own statist ideologies, the opinion that the government should and could control everything. You yeah. can't. When we went to Cuba, the first thing we found, gas lines, bread lines, mm-hmm. lines for water. Couldn't get water. No Wi-Fi. No ability to travel. No ability to speak online. All of our social platforms were shut down. Wow. Non-accessible. You would, we went to a hospital. You could see the outside of the hospital. We didn't go inside. You hear about socialist medical care, coronavirus, right? Like, what's a, what's a better system for handling this? The communist state-run structure right. or our structure? Well, the hospitals were crumbling in Cuba. It was horrific, and the most, most horrifically, uh, by the end of it, the government had raided our Airbnb and attempted to take all of our cameras. Um, <laughs> but the Airbnb so, is actually operational in Cuba. Yeah, uh, That's actually surprising. Yeah, with government certificates, you oh, can really? operate. But there's no Fourth Amendment. So good luck in Cuba. If you go to Cuba, you will find that your Airbnb, can the door can be kicked down by armed officers brandishing weapons, mm-hmm. and they can come in and take your stuff. They did that to us and our crew at Turning Point USA. It was horrific. Socialism does suck. And mm-hmm. if, you, if, you, if you value any of your amendment rights, yeah. uh, you do not want socialism. Um, we have about five, uh, 10 seconds left. Where do they go to find you? Where does everyone yeah, go? Yeah, Turning Point USA uh, on all social media platforms. Uh, and then Benny Johnson, Twitter. Very Instagram, cool. Facebook. All right. You're all over uh, CPAC as well, so make sure if you're at CPAC, go see Benny speak and uh, follow him on social. We'll be back in uh, just a second. Who does America? Welcome back. We are at CPAC uh, today, and joining us is Allison Howard Centifante. You are the uh, uh, Director of External Affairs at Live Action, which is a great organization doing very important work. Also going to be doing a uh, panel at CPAC, Life Support Questions the Candidates Should Have to Answer. That's going to be a good one because there's a lot of them, I feel like, a lot of questions they need to answer. Let's start there because we're watching the debate uh, the other night, and Elizabeth Warren is doing her thing where she just pummels Mike Bloomberg. Like She doesn't go after (laughs) Bernie Sanders for some reason, but she's constantly pummeling Mike Bloomberg, who's awful in my view. Um, But she she goes after him with an interesting attack, which was... There was this interaction apparently years ago where a female employee was there. She was saying how she was going to go and she had to leave because she was having a baby. And he just flippantly says to her, ah, you should kill it. And this was a big moment where it was supposed to show that Mike Bloomberg was this hater and a terrible man and, and not sensitive at all. But what exactly was the issue 
with that from the left? Because I understand why I have an issue with it and you, why you have an issue with it, but why would Michael Bloomberg or Elizabeth Warren have an issue with it? Yeah, absolutely. I think a lot of us in the pro-life movement were shocked by that interaction mm. because was her concern that he implied to kill it? And what is it? Because if she can define it, as <laughs> medical science shows, that's a baby. And so no one should be saying kill it to a pregnant woman. And, you know, Elizabeth Warren was trying to pull on the heartstrings of the American people. Like, I was pregnant and I had to face pregnancy discrimination, which we should all join hands against. Um, I'm eight months pregnant right now. I don't want any pregnant woman to face that. But in her trying to cast shade on Michael Bloomberg, it exposed how illogical she is. <laughs> and, and, and the Democrat platform right now, unfortunately, all of these Democrat presidential candidates are for killing it through all nine months of pregnancy for any reason at the taxpayer dollar. It's in their platform. It's what they have agreed to. And so that's not where most people lie. Um, and thankfully, more want to protect young and preborn children. Yeah. But she she just talked out of both sides of her mouth in that moment. <laughs> she did. But I mean, it, it's to be honest, I don't know how they keep it straight from a, on a day-to-day basis. I mean, you saw the, uh, the, the CNN did an article on the Born Alive uh, Act, which mm-hmm. is something that Ben Sass has been talking about for a while, which I'm a little conflicted on, honestly, because it's arguing, it's moving the Overton window so far to the idea that we're arguing now whether it's okay to kill a baby that's alive. Like, and I understand we're on the right side of this one, mm-hmm. um, but I'm worried almost about sliding the argument so far to the extreme that we're not fighting, you know, a little bit more towards where yeah. the battle is. I, I think maybe you do both of them is probably the answer. Yeah. Um, but their article said uh, they had identified the baby as a fetus that had been born. Like, this is the mental gymnastics that, that are needed to to finish these arguments for them is, is, is incredible. Yeah, it, it is. It's pretty scary. The euphemisms that are used to justify the taking of an innocent preborn life. I mean, even the word abortion itself is an, a euphemism explaining mm-hmm. the dismemberment, the starving, the, the ending of a preborn life. And so we've just gotten so jaded to what that actually means. And most politicians, most American people couldn't even tell you what takes place during an abortion. That's what we've seen at Live Action. Yeah. When we ask people and we show them a medical animation of the procedure, it's the first time they've ever seen it. Uh, so for CNN and these mainstream media outlets to then go and do, like you said, the verbal gymnastics of saying, how do we not talk about a baby here? Because the born alive bill was saying if a baby is born alive after an abortion, so an abortion attempt fails, the baby's born breathing, can we make sure it gets consistent care of any other child that was born at that age? Say it's 24 weeks, 26 weeks, whatever. And the Democrats said no. No, I don't want to make sure that that baby gets care. But they won't use the word baby because they're following the lead of CNN and others who said a fetus that was born alive. Um, to their credit, they did correct the story. It took two days. Mm-hmm. But it just exposes, yet again, you're right, we're all the way over here. We're talking about babies that are born alive now. That's just how wildly callous and <laughs> uncompassionate the pro-abortion movement is. It is. I, I remember the Times did something similar where they, they called it like, where they were talking about hearing the heartbeat, and they called it a rhythmic pulse. Mm-hmm. What, what is I saw a that. rhythmic pulse? I, I, these things—it's just ridiculous. Um, it's, it's interesting too, watching you as you come down here and you sit down. And everyone's kind of walking around, and and everybody lights up because you're you're eight months pregnant, and everyone lights up, and they're saying congratulations, and they're you know they're fawning over how how what a miracle it is. Yet, uh, you know, if you're on the left, because they would do that too. If they if Elizabeth Warren came in here right now, she would do the same hmm. thing. Why, though? I, yeah. It just doesn't make any sense. Yeah, it's the, it's the illogical way that we treat 
pre-born children in this country, right? So on the one hand, people come up to me and they say, congratulations, and I'm eight months pregnant, I'm showing now. But in the same measure, I could and sometimes want to push back and go, for what? <laughs> Why? Okay. I'll and they would go, well, what do you mean? I said, if, I, if I said what the Dems are supporting and what the pro-abortion is, like, look, it's my body, my choice, I'll take care of this, please don't acknowledge it. I guarantee we'd see compassion in people. Go, wait, 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 what's going on? How can I help? Why are you talking like that? Yeah. And it's because I'm eight months pregnant, right? I'm so far along, maybe. But it would start this dialogue where people's, because people's hearts and intuition know that there's a child there. Yeah. I do believe even these pro-abortion Democrats, pro-abortion Americans do know that's a child there. They've just been sold into a narrative that you can't support a woman and support a pre-born child. And we have to fix that. We're working on that. Um, so, yeah, we'll see if I get to kind of call someone on it. But you're right. If I went to a Democrat debate and said, look, don't congratulate me. I'll take care of this. I know it would pull on their heartstrings because at our core, we want to protect children. It's why we have programs like WIC. It's why we have fetal surgery and we apply anesthesia to babies in in utero to make sure that they are not hurting. Mm -hmm. At the same time, those same babies of that same age are, are, are terminated and, and killed every day. And I feel like it's like almost a unique argument as of all the political discussions that we have and that, like, I, you know, I'll sit down here and I'll blab about how I want taxes to be lower, I want regulation to be lower, and, and a lot of times I'm arguing some sort of, you know, I'm arguing off of a spreadsheet, right? And the left has these emotional arguments. Well, they'll say, well, this child, they, you, of course we need this program, this one child that you, even though you say it's not effective for everybody, what about this one person? If it's going to save one life, what do you do? And it, like a lot of times it's a frustrating argument on things like that because we're both arguing theoretically for what's best for everybody. But when it comes to this, we also have the emotional side of it. Mm -hmm. Like this is like you go to, on the Internet and you go to YouTube and you look at trending videos and like oh, first of all, you're going to see tons of babies. Secondly, like probably the most popular video right now is the type of video where the deaf child uh, can't hear and they put in the hearing aid for the first time and they just like their eyes yeah. light up and they're amazing. Even just thinking about them, it like brings tears yeah. to your eyes. Yet at the same time, we're like, oh, well, I mean, obviously if the mom doesn't want that kid, that's a whole nother story. We can right. get rid of it. That, that, there's such a disconnect there. How do we bridge that gap with people who do just see it as, I know you, you want to get rid of women's rights? Hmm. It's a great point, and something that we're working on is changing hearts and minds on abortion by using those opportunities to say, look, look at culture, look at what's happening here. This is a child that's getting its hearing for the first time, and it moves you. And using that to say, this child has dignity, has worth, regardless of its productivity, regardless of whether it could hear one day. Same for a kid with Down syndrome, which right now, you know, kids with Down syndrome are being terminated almost nine out of ten. Yeah. Are, are all aborted uh, in utero before they're even born, to use those as opportunities to point back to every human being being worth fighting for. And you're right, we should be using the language that the other side uses. I go and Lila Rose, our president and founder, will go. And when we speak, we remind people, we are, as a pro-life movement, the side of inclusivity and tolerance. I can tolerate a pregnant woman at work, right? I can tolerate an unplanned pregnancy and what it does to my family. Uh, we're the compassionate inclusive side of this. The other side, sadly, tells women that to be truly empowered and successful, you must pit yourself against your child and you must do what no man would ever have to do, which is to end the life of your child. No man has had to make that decision. And that's what the left, the pro-aborts are telling women right now, that if you want to be as successful as a man, you must kill your child. That's not empowerment. That is not true equality. It's almost a threat. 
It, it is. And, and I wish that these celebrities would get behind a message that actually says, you know, we th think of Michelle Williams who stood up with her gold trophy. I mean, really, a golden idol and said, thank goodness I got my golden idol and thank goodness for abortion it got me this. But real empowerment would be her saying, I got this and as a true woman, as a mom. And I made my producers and my directors respect me as a woman and work around me being pregnant. It was not something I had to change about my nature, about my um, being. It's not a, right? She actually had to play into a man's world in that way. Yeah. She said, I, I, I played a man and I, I didn't get pregnant, just like men don't get pregnant. That's not equality. It's a false sense of equality. And so we're, we're going to keep pushing for true empowerment. Yeah. I know we have, the, we have about one more minute here, but... It, you know, the, the movement has gone a long way, right? It's mm -hmm. gone to the point where, you know, there is this shout your abortion sort of feel going on right now. There's this idea that, uh, you know, you, it should be something that you're, is glorious and you should be proud of. And I think there's a part of that that's so in inherently offensive to the average person. Even mm -hmm. seeing someone who's supposed to be the, a moderate in the race, like Pete Buttigieg, being like, oh, yeah, nine months, sorry, yeah, absolutely. I think that is, there is a dividing line there. Where, I mean, whether even if you're pro-choice, the people that I talk to who are pro-choice are generally speaking mm -hmm. first trimester people. Mm -hmm. I don't agree with that, obviously, but still, it, you know, it, it's shining a light on how extreme uh, the left t typically has gotten. Yeah, absolutely. And right now the stats show that 71% of Democrat voters are for restricting abortion in some way, mm -hmm. more than it is now. Maybe wow. it's a two, uh, second trimester, maybe it's at first, like you said, yeah. but they have no leadership to look to in the Democrat Party. There's no nuances. There's no thoughtfulness or even debate or dialogue. So to your point, it's not, thankfully, it's not where most people lie because groups have done a better job. The movement has educated, exposed, shown people, and now they're having these thoughtful questions and conversations. The reality is more people are becoming pro-life than ever. I'm really proud of CPAC for yeah. acknowledging that and equipping the uh, you know 20,000 attendees who are here this weekend to be able to speak up. This is the greatest human rights issue of our time. You are winning on this issue. I mean, it's the president has talked about it. His administration is all in because this is a winning issue to fight for the lives of those who can't speak for themselves. History has shown that it is going to be those who speak up for the oppressed, for the marginalized, for the exploited, that win the day, and that's us. So I'm, I'm excited to be speaking at CPAC and glad that they've taken leadership on this, because it's time. Uh, it, there's a sense of urgency, of course. Mm -hmm. We're losing over 3,000 babies every day, but we're making progress. So we welcome everyone to come over on our side. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> uh, go see Allison at uh, CPAC and, and thank her. You, know, can, you can congratulate her on her fetus that will soon be born. Uh, it's Allison Howard Santafonte. She's going to be at CPAC and, of course, with Live Action, which is a great organization. Thanks so much for coming on the program. Thanks so much. All right, back in a second. Our next guest needs no introduction here at Blaze TV. He's, of course, host of White House Brief and the White House correspondent for Blaze TV, John Miller. Uh, John, if let's just say there's a world where the Democrat wins this next election. Can you still be the White House correspondent? Because I want to see you go in there. Oh, and that's when it the gets Democrat. fun. Yeah, that's when it gets fun. You know, now it's kind of just like, oh, you know, a boring White House correspondent asks reasonable question. Mm. But, you know, if a Democrat's in there, I mean, that makes the job fun because then you can actually grill them. Yes. And, uh, you know, and everyone in there actually does have an agenda, yes. which I just went in saying, I don't have an agenda, but, you know, I definitely have a point of view. Yeah. And so uh, for them to pretend that they don't is just dishonesty. Oh, yeah. It's just dishonesty. It's and I would, you know, so going in with a Democrat in office, it's just easier to grill them 
It, it just, would be. It, it would just. I, it truth. would make for really fun entertainment for me, and that's really the most important. That, that's thing. the most important that's what we're thing we're talking about here. Um, so uh, I want to talk to you. You're, you're at CPAC uh, this weekend. You, I love the name of your uh, your panel: Socialism and the Great Awakening. <laughs> yeah. Awoke, not the awakening. No, awakening. It's not correct grammar, but it works. It works. Um, I, you know, the woke thing is interesting to me because I feel like it's a, it's sort of a dividing line, where the average person who maybe doesn't follow politics so much and maybe a lot of times even falls on the left still sees the woke thing as completely ridiculous. Yeah, absolutely. I have a sister who works in organic farming, sustainable mm. farming. Ah, sustainable farming. And even she is like, this is ridiculous. <laughs> like, even she's drawn the line where, you know, she goes into work and she politely addresses somebody and they're like, actually, I identify as a they. And it's like, okay, but how do I use that in a sentence? Like, yeah. <laughs> Are they actually, yeah. It seems like this movement is able to actually alter the English language. Right, like, does they take a singular or a plural verb? Like, they is going to the store? Or do you say they are going to the store? How does that work? It would have to be is, right? They, well, no, because, well, yeah, it would have to be is. You're right. So they is going to the store. They is going to the that's store. English now. Can you, that's English <laughs> now. That's unbelievable. I just, I, I think that there's a certain, because, you know, a lot of this stuff, I think it gets hard. You know, we were just talking about how, um, you know, you go into, we were talking about you want taxes lower or you want the regulation to be lower. You know, a lot of times you're, you're arguing sort of a boring side of the argument, and you're right. saying, like, look at my spreadsheets and my graphs. Right. Um, my facts and my information here. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, I like that stuff, so I'm, I don't mind doing it. But, like, on the other side of it, there's that emotional, like, there's an emotional reaction, a guttural reaction to some of the stuff. You watch a a, a woman late weightlifter weighting, lifting, lifting like 310 <laughs> over their heads, and you're like, and they're blowing out every woman that's out there. Obviously, it's a man lifting as a woman. We all know it. Every <laughs> and everyone can watch that video and be like, okay, we know yeah. exactly what's going on here. Yeah, and I think that's the type of stuff that does hit the average person, not the activist, but the average person who might even be on the left and say, come on, this is insanity. Absolutely. Uh, you have another example, The Little Mermaid, which is now a sexist uh, film, and they're remaking it, and you know they've got the black... Little Mermaid, which was, you know, Disney just did that to appease the woke crowd. And we're like, okay. oh, look, we have a black Little Mermaid now. But now the story is extremely sexist because the story is about a woman who gives up her voice for a man. And so the feminists are outraged and they're not letting their kids see it and all of that because of the storyline, the plot line that so many people grew up with. But all of a sudden, you should never give up your voice for a man. And so it's, it's teaching kids the wrong lesson. I, the average American looks at that and says, you guys are completely out to lunch. You guys are being ridiculous. Yeah. And they don't look at that and say, well, this is progress. They don't look at it that way. So no. if you were to take somebody who's been removed from this political you know, bubble that we're in and just show them this stuff, show them the 300-pound lifter <laughs> that's a woman and show them the people who are outraged by a Disney film, they'd say this is completely ridiculous. A lot of this stuff, too, hits, I think, like the average suburban parent who's saying, like, my daughter could get victimized by this. Yeah. And the same thing, that I think the same way the Kavanaugh hearings hit the, the parent of a son, where you're like, my yeah. son could just be accused of anything and I'm just supposed to go along with this. Is it just them? Are they overstepping now, or is this? Are we just behind the times and haven't picked up this? No, real because way again, and I, I know I'm using all of these anecdotal examples, nah. but I, you know, you, you talk to moms in particular who have sons, and they look at their son and they kind of put themselves in their shoes and say, okay, well, my son is being accused of rape. I've known my son. I raised my son, uh, and all of a sudden, it becomes very real to them that some girl can just come and say, you know, 30 years ago. Uh, you know, I was I was raped by this person and have no evidence, in fact, have evidence to the contrary and have, uh, you know, no corroborating evidence. And if there is any, it actually goes against what the accuser is saying and and then have the entire country defend the woman who's making the accusations with nothing to back them up. 
So I think the average mom looks at that, and it's not just Republican moms, you know, mm -hmm. those uh, sexist, misogynistic Republican moms who <laughs> yeah. go and look at this and say, you know, I, I would want, in the same way I'd want my daughter uh, to not be uh, sexually assaulted, I would want my son not to be unfairly accused of sexual assault. So I think they're going way too far with this stuff. And that's kind of what we're talking about with the panel, along with just the fact that, you know, the thing that I got in trouble with a couple weeks ago, but with the fact that mm -hmm. the meritocracy is completely dead, mm -hmm. and that instead of looking at things objectively and saying who would be the best, you know, whether it's academia or whether it's Hollywood or whether it's the media, and looking at things objectively, they're instead looking at things that check all the right boxes. And if they do check all the right boxes, then, of course, you give them the award. Right, of course, that's the way it works. Yes. Um, I, I have a, a somewhat of a, a baby theory in that this sort of goes back to... Is a theory about babies? Or that's, that's a theory <laughs> we'll get to that one form. later. No, we'll get to that one later. No, um, I, I don't know where they come from. No one ever told right, nope. me. Um, no, it, it going back to like um, the... Like mid early mid '90s, there was this mo uh, thing that started up on uh, MTV called Rock the Vote, mm -hmm. and the idea was basically like, hey, like you know, you deserve a voice. You need to get you know involved in these things, and kids need to like you know get passionate about these issues. And of course, we all know MTV came at it with a real slant to say yeah, it wasn't just rocking the vote, rock the vote for the <laughs> candidate we're telling you to vote for. Right. Um, and I think that was basically their theory. The secondary benefit to them, I think, on this was we got to a point where we started telling kids that activism was good because it was activism. Mm -hmm. um, it, just because you went out and, you know what, they got involved. Yeah, I know what they were doing wasn't exactly right, but they got involved. I'm so proud of them. They did a car wash for, you know, nine-month abortion. Wonderful. <laughs> and, and it was like, it's one of these things where activism is beneficial, and obviously a lot of things have changed. Uh, you know, I mean, go back to the revolution. It was basically an activist movement in some way. But the other side of that is, when everyone's an activist, no one's actually thinking about these issues. No one's actually, uh, you, know, you know, going back and forth and, and giving a little nuance and understanding right. of them. And everyone's just jumping into the pool before they can swim. Right. And activism is birthed by some sort of anger, some sort of righteous yeah. indignation. And that's how it should form. And that's organically how it does form. Yeah. And instead, you kind of just have these people jumping on these bandwagons and saying, you know, I need to be angry about this. They're not actually angry about anything. Is really anyone angry about being called the wrong pronoun? No. Is really anyone angry that the best movie at the Oscars actually won the award, regardless yeah. of what color or what gender the director is? No, no one's actually outraged by that. And I think true activism starts when you're actually angry, which is not a negative emotion when it's justified. Uh, yeah. And, and that's what spawns real activism. You need to have that anger first. You can't start with the activism and say, hey, let's find something you for, for you to be outraged about or let's find something you to, to protest because the act of protesting is good in itself. Well, I mean, it's not necessarily. Sometimes this activism leads to really positive things, changes that we need, like, for example, an anti-lynching law. Oh, yes. That was a very I was so relieved issue. when that came out because, you know, I go out into the streets every day yeah. worried that I'm going to be lynched. But now that Congress made it illegal, I can walk down the streets. Uh, was lynching not illegal before this week? I, I, I thought it was. I thought, I thought it was. you couldn't lynch people, but, you know, thank goodness the three, what is it, the three clanners that we still have in the country, now they can, they can <laughs> no longer have the barbecue in their backyard <laughs> with the burning cross and the lynching ceremonies, which I'm sure they're, they're upset about. Does but. that work on anybody? Does anyone, like, oh, wow, they finally, they finally got yeah, that Did lynch. you see Rashida Tlaib? She tweeted, and she was like, it's, it's taken too long for this country to come out with this. I'm like, do you guys realize murder is not, uh, is not legal? But in their minds, you know, it doesn't matter the actual end result of someone getting killed. It's the, uh, it's the means by which you do it. So I guess, mm -hmm. you know, in the same way they want to take away guns because guns are the actual thing that kill people. Right. You know, lynching is now the thing that, that kill people. Right. But I'm really not sure who's getting lynched these days. I haven't seen too many cases of it, thankfully, by the way. <laughs> it's a good thing. So if we add up all the things we've talked about, I think, this entire segment and, and combine them into one 
candidate. Good luck. What you basically oh. have is Bernie Sanders, right? Yes. Uh, you know, you have some AOC in there, but I mean, it's it is you know it's d democratic socialism for what it's worth. And here's a guy right. with it's all just this socialism. Yeah, it's just socialism. It's just socialism. Right? And it's socialism is what? It's just a pit stop on the way from between capitalism and communism. Well, and communism, yeah. Yeah, and you know, you get, I love how they say democratic socialism like it's it's this big qualifier. You know, first of all, if you can't say you can't call yourself a communist because it's not popular, you call yourself a socialist. If you can't call right. yourself a socialist, you call yourself a democratic socialist. If you can't call yourself a democratic socialist, you call yourself a democrat. Right. That's the way that thing works, right? right? Um, but all of that is just under the giant umbrella of Marxism. So you're definitely a Marxist either way. Um, I'm curious though. Because I, I kind of agree with you, and I, I, I feel like it's true that there's a lot of people who are seeing the woke stuff and all this crazy activism and all this, you know, this nonsense going on and, and pulling back from it. Yet here's Bernie Sanders leading the way uh, in, in the Democratic primary. He's the, he's the overwhelming favorite at this point. Not, uh, you know, he, he polls really well against Donald Trump. I mean, it's still early to take too much out of that, but it's not like he's down by 20 points, where he, which he should be. This is the United States of America. Yeah. I, I, I don't get the Bernie phenomenon because even you look at the things that he stands for and they're just absolutely ridiculous <laughs> and he has no way to pay for them. And, and then there's just the optics. He's just kind of a crazy guy. But I mean, as early as this week, he's up there on the Democratic debate stage saying Castro is not such a bad guy, you know, it, 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 and it's just incredible that you can have someone, you know, yeah, yeah, he killed a lot of people, but, you know, his education program, that was spectacular. I, I, I don't understand, and I don't understand, you know, right the day after he goes and wins Nevada among, and, and, and extremely high with Latino voters, which makes no sense because they're the ones we're told, you know, who understand the terrors of socialism yeah. because a lot of them fleed from socialist nations because socialism was so bad. So it's very peculiar that he's actually um, so popular with, with, with that crowd. And it's also telling me that there has to be something else to his appeal. I don't know what it is. I can't figure it <laughs> I out. I don't know what it is. I either. can't figure it out. But, you know, the, he's he's polling relatively high with the African-American vote, voters, mm -hmm. which I'm just like, how does an 80-year-old, 79 or whatever he is, guy who's you know whiter than snow <laughs> do well with african americans i don't understand it at all all right uh so right before we go saturday south carolina biden's been making a nice little comeback his polling's looking pretty good lately he says he will win it he says he will win it shouting is yeah. he right i think he'll get second i don't know who will really? get first, but i think he'll get second is i just he's done he's done i think that, he's right? cooked i think yeah. he was cooked from the beginning i think the polls that said he wasn't cooked were just uh, optimistic i think it's who the establishment and the media wanted but from the beginning, he walked out on stage, and I'm like, oh, no, their, their initial uh, uh, way that they tried to get <laughs> yeah. him out there, of whatever the word I'm looking for is, they basically wanted to hide him. Right, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they were just, just like, Just don't yeah. talk for the next six that months. That was their yeah. strategy. Let's just put him in a room. Bloomberg should have done the same thing. He should have stuck with that one. I know. He was doing yeah. it, too. I thought it was better the second debate, but yeah. it still wasn't. I mean. Because um, he, he's, I think he's the last, the last wall here. I mean, because if Biden, if, if you're right, because I, I kind of think Biden's going to win, but if he loses... It's just basically Bloomberg's the only thing left to stop Sanders from getting this nomination yeah. just because he has all the money. And I think Elizabeth Warren is out. Yeah. I think, I think Warren's out. done. And I don't think I don't think Buttigieg or Klobuchar are going to do anything either. Yeah. Although I don't know how Klobuchar, how is she still in this? I don't know. <laughs> like Kamala's out, Booker's out. I know. But somehow this woman. She's is, John yeah. Kasich. That's why. Right. She's yeah. the John Kasich of 2020. And she's not going to win a single primary. No, if she's going to try to win Minnesota. Uh, right. And, uh, and if she loses, well, I don't think she'll make it there. Yeah, well, there we go. Anyway, uh, John Miller, thank Thanks you so much you. for coming on the program. We're back in a second.
Don't forget to subscribe at uh, blazetv.com slash stew. You can use the promo code stew and save 10 bucks. And plus, that's how they know you like the stupid show. So I appreciate you going to do it. Uh, also, subscribe at YouTube and click the bell for your notifications. And subscribe, rate, and review on your podcast app. It's great. Whatever. Just write something like that, and it's going to be totally fine. From Washington, D.C. and CPAC, we'll see you tomorrow.